you'll open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Our series has been faith working through love, or as the NIV expresses it, faith expressing itself in love. Uh, This is Paul's emphasis through the book that our good works are not what make us properly related to God. That it is Jesus Christ, the justification that comes through Jesus Christ, through faith alone, not through faith plus something else. Um, Paul is laboring to bring the Galatians back to that truth. And that's how he opens the gospel, or the, the, the epistle, reminding them that um, there's a distortion of the gospel that they're hearing. It's not another gospel. It's not an alternative. It's actually a distortion of the original in chapter 1. And so Paul is stepping into, in writing, a culture, a church culture that is turning from the freedom of captives released in Jesus to back to the performance culture that is endemic to the human heart and endemic to society. The church really should be counterculture in how it thinks, and how it functions, and how it relates to God, and how it relates, how individuals within the church relate to themselves, think about themselves, and in how we relate to others. And so Paul is calling them out of this performance culture that was encroaching into the church. The performance culture is the dominant segment of the world. Grace culture is a minority culture, even within the Christian religion. People often talk about grace. They talk about it, though, not in biblical terms, not in biblical understanding or, what, or, or understanding what grace actually does to us. A proper understanding of the gospel actually begins to transform us. And as Paul says in Titus, to train us to live godly, upright, self-controlled lives today. Even the evangelical world speaks of grace and talks about grace in a way that is more licensed than it is grace. But at least they're not legalists. But that's not sufficient. That still falls short of the gospel as it is presented in the Scripture. And so Paul is writing a church where he himself is facing criticism where he himself says that if be careful that you don't bite and devour one another and thereby be consumed. Paul was on the receiving end of this and actually says, have I now become your enemy even though I have come to minister the grace of God? Let's read our text for today. It's a short verse. I think it's timely as we bring new officers in to think about what they're being called to do and what officers are going to experience as the nature of the office. So Paul says this, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I think this is an interesting way for Paul to end his letter. And I don't know how to read it, by the way. I don't know if, if he's chastising them. All right, y'all stop causing me trouble. I don't know if he's doing that or if he's appealing. Oh, please, please help me. Please, please don't trouble me anymore. 
please, I, I know he's not talking to the people who were the performance teachers, right? He's not going to appeal to his rhetorical enemies uh, to stop troubling him. He's actually appealing to the Galatian believers. So he's appealing to the churches that he's writing to saying, stop causing me trouble. Stop laying the burden, and I think probably the burden of your hesitation between the performance, culture, and grace that you're facing. I think it's interesting that he ends this way, and then there's a very personal note here. If you look at the text, he says, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And we're going to look at what the marks were in a second, but notice the name. Usually when Paul speaks of our Savior, he uses his formal name, Jesus Christ. Or he will use an even more formal approach, our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, it's very personal. I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. It's very human. It's very intimate. And so I think there's a lot for us to learn today and a lot for our elders and deacons as they work in the office that they're in and as these men come into office. I think there's some things for us to consider. I think the bottom line lesson, and I I probably could have expanded it, but trying to be simple here, faith working through love, which is his emphasis, means serving others for Jesus' sake. It means serving others for Jesus' sake. Let's look at some thoughts here. Number one, Paul models his message, right? Paul models this message of faith expressing itself in love. If you have your Bibles, look over to chapter 5, verse 13. Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Paul opens the letter to the Galatians telling his story, telling about how he was persecuting the church, talking about his religious pedigree, and talking about his performance in Judaism, excelling above all others. And then the day came when Jesus revealed himself to Paul. And everything changed. Paul was set free from those traditions. Paul was set free from his performance. Paul was liberated. And how did Paul use that freedom? He went on missionary trips. He went and invested in the lives of others. He went and taught the gospel. In fact, he says, necessity is laid upon me to preach the gospel. Even while he was in churches that he was planting, he would work as a, as, as a tent maker so that he could give the gospel away for free. In fact, we, we actually use that word now in pastoral circles, are you a tent maker in other words are you working a job so that you can plant your church and more and more that's becoming the model instead of raising four hundred thousand dollars for a guy to walk in and and have five years of income to plant a church they're going in as career professionals who are working to plant the church and hopefully make that transition into full-time work 
But Paul is modeling that. He models for them what it means to walk in the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, 20, uh, 22, the fruit of the Spirit, hopefully you see this in Paul's life. Hopefully they know this about Paul. His love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He models for them humility. When he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. He models for them carrying their burdens. And that's what this letter is. Paul carrying their burden. Chapter 6, verse 1, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who have the Spirit should restore him in weak in gentleness. This is exactly what, why Paul is writing this letter and desiring to be with them again. And he models faithfulness to the message of the gospel, the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are saved through Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone, to the glory of God alone. So Paul models this faith expressed in expressing itself in love, but then he challenges the performance culture. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Paul does not look at what the church is experiencing and fail to speak the truth in love. To fail to speak to the issues that they're facing. No, he challenges the culture. He stands against the performance culture. In chapter 1, when he writes, he, he writes about the distortion of the gospel and he says, I'm astonished that you're quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. And you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is one, but there's a distortion of the gospel. But if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preached to you, let him be accursed. Folks, this is, this is damning language. This is him calling down the judgment of God on those who would preach this error. He refuses to be intimidated by others. In chapter 1, verses 11, 10, and following, he asks the question, am I pleasing men? Am I seeking men's approval? And you can read chapter 1 to see how he stands in front of renowned religious leaders, but refuses to be under that power, under their power. Refuses to be intimidated by them. He refuses to stand down, even in the midst of of close friendships with Peter. And he relates us to us the story of how he interacted with Peter and confronted Peter when Peter withdrew from the Gentiles for fear of the party that came from Jerusalem. He disqualifies his own performance and the performance of others in chapter 2, reminding everyone about his performance. And, and as he says in Philippians, these things are meaningless now. None of them reach the standard that is required by God. And so my performance, even as a devout religious person, has failed to reach the standard that God has. He confronts those who are submitting to that performance culture. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Oh, foolish Galatians, listen to his appeal. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed and crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish 
having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? This is a pastor, an apostle, speaking into the lives of God's people and confronting them for submitting to this culture of performance. He confronts the very standard that they're using, the law of God, and reminds them that the law only brings a curse. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Chapter 3, verses 15 through 22, reminding them that all are under sin, that there is no one who has faithfully kept the law of God. And so all who would live that way must keep the whole thing, and because of that, they come under the curse of the law. And then he exalts their performance of Christ on our behalf. Chapter 3, verse 10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under curse, for it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And then in verse 26 of the same chapter, chapter 3, for in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then he confronts the clean, unclean culture. He confronts this idea that there are some who are clean and some who are unclean. He does a much broader explanation of this in Romans to show that everyone under the law is unclean. But look what he says. Look how he confronts this. There's neither Jew nor Greek. You can't say one class, one one race is clean and the other is unclean. You can't talk about Gentiles as the other, as those people. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. You can't look at your economic status and despise the poor, despise the indentured servants, despise those who have been sold into slavery as somehow if they had just worked harder or if they had been a better class of people. You cannot do that. That is not the gospel. That's the result of a performance culture. There's neither male nor female. You cannot despise the other gender. We are brothers and sisters in the family of God. We are all Abraham's offspring, all heirs. And this idea of heirship is translated by Peter into our prayer lives. That God actually refuses to listen to the prayers of men who would despise their wives. who would look at women as somehow being less than. Because that's not the gospel. That's not grace. That is the fruit of a performance culture. He confronts the motives of the false teachers. And and folks, you know, I know we're not supposed to judge motives. God speaks a lot about motives. Jesus actually knew motives, right? 
He actually could speak into the lives of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, people who were coming to him. He knew their hearts. The Bible tells us that. And the Bible is revealing, or or the Spirit is revealing to Paul the motives of people. And he confronts it. He confronts their desire in chapter 4, verse 17, to make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out so that you'll seek after them and make much of them. He confronts their motives in chapter 6, verse 11. See what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. What's their desire? To show off their performance. It would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they not be persecuted. So to avoid persecution. And then to boast in your flesh. Look how many converts we have. He confronts this. And he confronts their treatment of him specifically. Chapter 4, verses 8 through 17, he talks about, I'll summarize it with verse 16, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Why are you treating me like your enemy, Paul says. Chapter 5, verse 11, why are you persecuting me if I'm telling you the good news? And then chapter 6, our text today, stop troubling me. And that's... that's, that, that, that's where he just draws the net and says, listen, if you want to know who cares about you, it's not the person who's trying to put on a show. It's not the person who's trying to, to demonstrate his success by having a lot of converts or to boast in how many followers he has, how many Instagram followers he has. It's the person who is serving you on a regular basis. It's a person who's given his life to serve you. Paul says, so why am I your enemy now? What's happened? And the word trouble is literally to put on me a heavy burden. The burden of those who are stepping away from the gospel of grace and stepping into a performance. And this is what Paul feels as the person who who was instrumental in birthing the Galatian churches. He feels the weight that every parent feels as their children make mistakes as their children engage in the very things that as parents we taught them not to do it weighs on our hearts i think that's paul's appeal in this text don't put the burden on me of watching my children walk away from the lord what a heavy burden he carries and then finally he talks about bearing the scars of serving I think this tells us a lot of things. I think it reminds, it reminds every officer in this church, every young couple who says, I can't wait, wait to have kids, I'm ready for it. I asked David Noren that this morning as I was talking about the future birth of their son. Are you ready to be a parent? He said, yes. I was like, let me ask that again. <laughs> You're going to walk, this child's going to walk into your life and it's, gonna, it's, it's so easy for that child, as speaking as a parent, not, not for the norm, speaking as, as a parent myself, it's so easy for that child to determine your identity, how that child makes you feel about yourself. Now, we're stepping into a discipleship role with these children, and that is tough. That is challenging. To walk in and lay down your life 
to create something by the grace of God in that child. That's what these elders and that's what this deacon are coming in to do. They're coming in to serve the Lord and to bear the hardships that come with serving Christ. To bear the suffering that comes with serving Christ. This is how Paul describes his physical uh, suffering. He says, uh, are they servants? This is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. He's not, he's not claiming to be better. He's using sarcasm in the context of defending himself against those who were attacking him. I'm talking like a madman. <laughs> That's how you know he's using sarcasm. Okay? I'm a better servant than anyone. Now I'm really talking like an idiot. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments and countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received the hands of the Jews and 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and day, a, a night and, and a day, I was adrift in the sea. On frequent journeys in danger of rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss book, doesn't it? Danger here, danger there, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst and without, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and am I not indignant? If I must boast... I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Paul bears his scars. Paul takes off his robe and shows you his loyalty, his faithfulness, his commitment. But he shows you that it's not commitment and loyalty to the Galatians. That's not, that's not prime. He tells you who his commitment and his loyalty is. Is to Jesus. This is what he says in Philippians chapter 3. Verses 2 and following. Look out for dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. By the way, calling someone a, do a dog is pretty, pretty offensive in the culture. Don't, don't overlook that. Okay? Um, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason to have for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless." But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. See where his heart is? It's in knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And how would our parenting change? If we could look at our children and say, I want nothing from you, only for you to know Jesus. How much would our marriages change? 
if we were more concerned about that than anything else, if we were willing to suffer so that we could experience Jesus in that way, not what we're getting from this person, and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law performance, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him at his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is Paul telling you why he's doing what he's doing. And for the men who are coming up today, the other motives will be stripped from you. We all go into ministry for different motives. We think our motives are pure. They're never pure because our hearts aren't pure. And then in ministry, God begins to strip those motives away. Men, that will happen to you, and you will have to decide, why am I doing this? Is it for Jesus? And are you experiencing fellowship with Jesus in your sufferings? Or do your sufferings just make you angry and bitter? Some quick applications. A performance culture affects everyone. And I mean that. It affects you. It affects me. Pastors bite and devour. And so do congregants. And we have to work to live in the grace of God. That's what's going to bring us together. That's what's going to bring us together. The gospel teaches us that we're all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God and that there is a a huge bank of forgiveness available to us through Jesus. It is grace that's going to bring us together. It is grace that's going to hold us together. The men who are coming today are going to disappoint you. They are going to sin against you. But we're confident these men are going to confess and repent when confronted. These are not perfect men. What brings us together is the grace of God. Remember that leaders are called by God. This is how Paul begins his letter. He says that he is an apostle by the will of God. You nominated these men. They felt the desire to serve. We call that providence. We believe that God has led these people into our lives to lead us. Support them and encourage them in the work. We'll talk more about that in a second. And remember that all of us, you and me, even in our relationships together, share in the sufferings of Christ. Jesus was despised and rejected. Jesus was cast away. Jesus was denied his rights. So don't be surprised when you experience that. And run to Jesus with it. And you'll know him in a way today that you don't, didn't know him yesterday. Let me pray for us. Father, as our children come in in a second, as we commence with this installation service, give us grace to enter into the ministry of each other's lives with humility, with great dependence on you, and with a desire to see you transform all of us into the very image of Christ. 
bless and oversee the next part of our service and the people who we are commending for ministry. In Jesus' name, amen.